0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs
1: to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Jocelyn. I'm the Director of Youth and Family Ministries here at Stonebridge Community Church. And it is always my privilege and joy to preach to you this morning. Um, And this morning we have officially entered into the Christmas season. And I know this because there's now a live tree in the corner of my living room. Uh, But I also know this because it's Advent. We just had our wonderful uh, Advent liturgy at the beginning of this service. And here at Stonebridge, we take the time to lean into the season of Advent and look towards Christmas. And we do this as a process of preparing ourselves for the holiday. In the case of Advent, we prepare for the birth of Christ. Christ. And I mean, what does it mean to prepare for Christmas? I mean, for so many of us, there are presents to buy, families to coordinate, trees to half decorate, and that's a big part of our lives. And then there's this whole other side that that gives us the question of a lifetime. What does it actually mean that God became human? I think for us modern Christians, we can hold both of these things at once. We can have presents and take seriously the wonder of Christ's birth. I think to prepare well for Christmas, it's important for us to understand the purpose of Jesus's ministry. What Jesus came to do informs our understanding of the significance of God becoming human. I think one of the best passages in the Bible about understanding the purpose of Jesus comes from a hymn his mother sings in the Gospel of Luke. Our passage today is the story of Mary understanding and accepting the duty of bearing the Christ child and the hymn of praise she gives as a response. This hymn is known as the Magnificat, and it's absolutely one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it's a passage that I personally read every year in my own preparing for Christmas because it helps me zero in on what Christ means to me and the whole world. And it's exhilarating and maybe even a little revolutionary. So let me read this passage and then we'll dive deeper into it. There it is. All right, I'm going to read it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And this is the sixth month of her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you please pray with me? Holy and loving God, as we this morning come to you trying to understand what it means to prepare for Christmas in this Advent season, help us to see uh, just the beauty in Mary's words. How this hymn of praise can stir our hearts for you, God especially in this world. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you. Amen. When I read this passage, I'm always struck with the poise and understanding of Mary. When Gabriel brings to her the plan for bearing the Messiah, and after she asks some practical questions, she realizes the significance of what she's about to undertake, And instead of shying away, she takes on the responsibility saying, Here I am. I am the Lord's servant. Mary is not only on board with the plan, but she seems to be deeply in tune with what God is doing. She seems to get why the plan is happening, and importantly, what the coming Messiah means. And she brings this understanding into theological hope in the form of the Magnificat, this hymn Mary sings. But before we get to the theology of the Magnificat, I think it's really important to understand who Mary is. I mean, what do we know about Mary? Well, for starters, we know because she was of marriage age in the first century, that means she was likely around 13 years old. Now, if you've been around a number of Christmas Eve services, you may have heard that before. But really sit with that. 13 years old. I mean, what were you doing at 13 years old? I know for me, when I turned 13, I was a seventh grader at Valley View Middle School, just down the street. And let me tell you, I didn't have a clue in the world what was going on. I'm pretty sure at 13, I was devising the perfect plan to become a professional baseball player and a rock star at the same time. (laughs) And I was not seriously considering raising the Messiah. 13 is just so young there's just so much we don't know at 13 that we are just so unsure of in this world and yet in the gospels we see that mary is sure of absolutely one thing her faith in god her trust in what god is going to do through christ so what else do we know about mary besides her faith well mary is jewish And being a young Jewish girl, she would have been raised hearing the stories of her tradition. In synagogue and with her community, she would have heard about God's faithfulness toward the ancient Israelites, how God had freed them from slavery in Egypt, how God was continuously faithful to the Israelites in restoring them despite their unfaithfulness. But she would have also known the more difficult and painful stories as well. She would have known about how the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And then she would have known about how the Babylonians conquered Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah, destroying Jerusalem and sending so many into exile. And she, then she would have known about Persia and how they came next and sent the exiles home. But the turmoil still didn't end because then Alexander the Great and the Greeks come and conquer And she would have known how warlord after warlord, bloodthirsty kingdom after bloodthirsty kingdom came and went until eventually the Romans take over. All of them leaving in their wake destruction and death wreaked by a logic of violence. But throughout the exile and this cycle of violence, there was a hope that circulated amongst the Jewish people that Mary also would have known well the hope of a Messiah. The hope that God would continue his work of salvation, a continuation of God liberating the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt, of redeeming the Israelites over and over again. It was a hope that God remains faithful. When we read what Mary has to say, and then we bring this context, it helps us understand what she's trying to to say. In her current world, she has seen the cycle of violence that has destroyed the lives of so many. She lives under the Roman Empire and their brutal oppression. And in being Jewish, she has faith in God and hope in the Messiah. And as a 13-year-old, she is young, but she looks forward to the future with the hope that God's salvation will come to her as it did for her ancestors. When we bring this context to the hymn itself, we can see what is at the heart more clearly. Because at the heart of the Magnificat is Mary's theological hope and assertion of what God is going to do through Christ. It's her messianic expectations that take center stage. She begins with the phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord, a phrase many of us are accustomed to from our own familiarity with hymns. And this phrasing clues us into Mary's mindset. Mary is declaring not only that God is great, she gives praise for God's saving power throughout history. Here we can understand she would have in mind those stories of the exodus and God's faithfulness. God is great for Mary because God is faithful in his saving power. We can see this praise as a touchstone she goes back to throughout the the hymn. But the phrase of her soul magnifying what God is doing reveals to us that Mary understands what is going on. She doesn't need to guess anymore how God is going to provide salvation for her broken world. She knows for sure now. What we see here in the Magnificat is Mary's connection with what God is going to accomplish through the Messiah. In being asked to bear the Messiah, she becomes privy to what God is going to do. And this saving power It's not just for her. In verse 50, she exclaims that God is faithful to those who fear him for generations to generations. And the word fear here has always kind of been unsettling to me. When I was a kid, I would hear this word fear in this context, and I thought I actually needed to be afraid of God. However, that's not really the meaning of fear here. It's not that we should be afraid of God and his power but we should stand in awe and wonder of who God is. Fear is being used here with a respect for the awesomeness of God. Mary is telling us that God is faithful to those who understand God's awesome saving power. And while that might seem normal in our context, this verse does something particularly important. It expands the definition of who God's saving power is for. Even though Mary will mention her ancestors back to Abraham as a sign of God's faithfulness, she expands the imagination of who God is bringing into the fold. It's no longer just an exclusive relationship to Israel that God is faithful to. It is now to all those who cry out to God and are in need of saving. And that brings us to the most striking language in the Magnificat. Mary draws a clear distinction as to who will benefit from God's saving power through the Messiah, the class of the lowly. And she identifies herself to be part of this class in verse 48, claiming that God looks favorably upon her regarding her lowliness. And we see later in verse 52 that as God brings down the powerful off their thrones, he is lifting up the lowly. And it's important we understand exactly what lowly means here in this passage. The Greek word itself that is being used is tapenos, which can be translated as lowly or humbled. Now, just a strict one-to-one translation doesn't give us the whole story. Because when we look throughout other ancient Greek sources, we see that this word has a particular use of describing those who are economically, and socially poor. The lowly to marry, who she herself is a part of, are the people who have been trampled again and again by the logic of violence in her world, who bear the brunt of the whims of unjust kings and emperors. They are those who struggle to live due to such violence and bear the burden of heavy taxation that comes from being a vassal state. And as a result, their spirits suffer. For the Gospel of Luke, Mary's Magnificat gives a stark picture about who God favors and who Christ has come for. It's not those who are powerful and have money and influence, but God has come to save and rescue those who have been abused by the powerful. And now God is going to save them through a great reversal to do away with the logic of violence and instead institute a logic of love. The great reversal is God completely undoing the order of the world and flipping it over. God does this because the world is broken and it's disordered due to sin. Verses 51 to 53 bring this to full effect. For Mary, the current order of the world sinfully operates on a logic of violence. And what it has done is created hatred, contempt, poverty, and pain. It's a world broken by sin and in need of saving, in need of a reordering. For Mary, that so many suffer daily while others hoard their riches, was a sign of this brokenness. That kings who sat in thrones oppressed the masses was a sign of this brokenness. For her, the Messiah was to come and to reverse these conditions so that the lowly may be lifted up and the hungry are full, so that all may experience wholeness, not just some. Mary's Magnificat puts forward the hope that those who suffered were to be brought into wholeness by the Messiah, both spiritually and materially. The Messiah is to come and institute a new way of doing things. Instead of a logic of violence, it's a logic of love that Christ will operate by. Whether through teaching that we should love our neighbors or the radical notion to pray for one's enemies or eating with sinners or inviting all to the table regardless of status, it's the logic of love and grace seen in the resurrection that is the logic of Christ. And in many ways, the great reversal is resurrection. It is taking the powers of sin and death and casting them out in favor of life, love, and grace. And this is the good news, that the powers of violence that wage death do not have the final say, but that Christ and God's love do. We can understand this more fully for ourselves by understanding how the great reversal is good news for Mary. Remember, she sees herself as part of the lowly in a state of spiritual, economic, and social poverty caused by the violence waged by nations. To hear that an end to the violence will come. To hear that those who have been crushed and oppressed will be brought into wholeness. To finally get relief from the powers of death. That is good news. The great reversal is good news for Mary because it means that God is delivering her and all of those who find themselves in the place of loneliness from a world of sin. That Christ is the direct action of God's saving power. God did not intend a world where violence is used to oppress, where poverty plagues so many, where the pain of isolation and death plague our hearts. Instead, what Mary is saying here is that God is doing something to reverse these conditions, to make the world new, to institute the kingdom of God through a logic of love. And I think this is where we can empathize with Mary the most in the Gospel of Luke. We can look around at our world and intuitively know that this is not how it's supposed to be. We can see how violence is used as a means of solving problems or see how so many people in our country and around the world are struggling to meet their basic needs due to poverty. We can see the brokenness in our own relationships, how we become so callous towards one another, or how suffering in our own lives has brought us so low. We too are in need of a great reversal. And so we too can look at the words of Mary and find hope in Christ. That Christ is instituting a reordering where love is our one and only language toward another. For that is what the kingdom of God is like. This is the theology and the hope of the Magnificat. And I hope this theology excites you as we start this Christmas season. To know that God is with those who feel trampled, that God is with those who feel they are on the outside or on the margins, that God's saving power is to reorder the world, to reflect his love and grace. The good news of the great reversal is that our God is one whose saving power is for those who need it most, for the lowly that our God is against the logics of the world that would use sin and violence as a means to an end. The good news is that our God through Christ is reversing all of these things and is establishing an order of resurrection, of love, of wholeness, of grace. A world where we are brought fully into the divine embrace of God. And friends, that is good news. When we view the gospel of Luke and Jesus' ministry through the Magnificat, we can see how Jesus offers a new way of being in this world. That his ministry is radical when it's compared to how the rulers of his world operated. And so I think the Magnificat invites us to prepare for Christmas in a way that we may not be used to. To see Christmas as the moment when the great reversal begins and then to seek to understand how God is continuing to do that in our world today. Where in the world are the lowly in need of being lifted up? Where are the cycles of violence, anger, hatred, and marginalization being used by the powerful? And how does the logic of love that Christ teaches counter that way of thinking? In our preparation for Christmas, how can we follow Christ in this logic of love? Where does it draw us to? And I don't think we need to look very far. For I'm certain that many of us are feeling low. Whether that be emotionally, spiritually, socially, economically, we feel it, and so do so many others in our world. We can participate in the great reversal right here and right now. We just need to find the ways that Christ's love lifts up the lowly. We can reach out. Donate, pray, advocate. We can do all these things through a logic of love. So let us prepare this Christmas season with the song of Mary. Let us understand, as Mary did, how God is turning the world upside down to cast away the violence, cruelty, callousness, and hate that so often dominates our world in favor of a revolutionary love that seeks to fill the hungry to meet the needs of the poor, to bring hope to those in despair and to bring wholeness to us and this world. Amen.